Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Welcome to the Whitetail Legacy Podcast. Tomorrow is opening day. This morning, then I have a great hunt. Deer didn't move like usual. We just got set up in the middle of this bedding thicket. Saving this spot from the rut. It's a nice, I think it's a nice buck. It's a 170. That was money. I think it's down right over there. 10 yards. Woo! Whitetail Legacy Podcast. Bringing you back to the hunt and leaving a legacy. Baller rut. Here we go. Episode four of the Legend of the Wood series. Wood? Legend of the Wood, bro. <laughs> Only one tree out there where this buck's from. <laughs> All right, we got O-Town Outdoors on for you today. Um, we're, we're coming a little sideways at you with this legend. Yeah. Um, a lot of people have the guy on that killed the deer, but nobody has the guy on that had the opportunity of legend, had a lot of history, camera picks, and hunted hard and wasn't successful. So we're coming a little sideways. We're going to get the other end of the story on this buck. On this buck. And uh, I, I'm excited, man. You don't get to hear a lot of these stories. I want to... I want to hear the heart, you know, the heartbreak. Because if someone would have shot Freeze, me and you would have been devastated. Yeah. So. But I think it's cool that they got to go uh, talk to the guy, congratulate him, yeah. see the deer, you know. See sheds of him and yeah, stuff like so. that. That's that's awesome that the, they made the connection after the kill and was able to actually go see the deer that you've been chasing. So. Get, get some sort of closure. Yeah. So this was, this was a good episode. Uh, let's get into the people that make this possible and uh, get right to the goods. Start off with the VIP broadhead, the title sponsor. Hit them with a little veteran knowledge over there. All right, continuing on here with uh, breaking down the veteran broadhead. This week we're going to talk about the body. Um, it's made of 7075T6 aluminum, 
and it has a 2 to 1 length to width ratio. I would have to ask Matt of what the 2 to 1 length to width ratio is about because uh, I, don't, I don't know that. It's a uh, 2 too long as it too I, long as it is wide. Yeah, I know that, but I don't um understand what it does. I think it's for aerodynamics. Can you spell that? No. <laughs> <laughs> aerodynamics. <laughs> All right. Um moving on to the VIP veteran broadhead shout out. This week's shout out is Ken Payne. He served from nineteen ninety five to two thousand and six. Uh Army Infantry served in the eighty second airborne. Seven years in the Eco 51st Long Range Surveillance. That sounds pretty badass. And um, 2003-2004 in Iraq. He has a daughter in the Army Reserves. Nice. Um, so uh, I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. And I believe um, his grandpa and great-grandpa were in like the Civil War. Wow. Yeah, so long history of uh, military service wow. from that family. Well, thank you, Ken, and your family and your daughter for all your sacrifice for us here at Whitetail Legacy at VIP and the VIP family. Um, let's get into Scentlock. Uh, are you going to buy the B1 series or are you going to roll with the Savannah suit? Ooh, I think I'm going to go with the B1. Are you going to get the B1? Yeah. I, I like the way it, it is for... I love the hood, that it has a hood. I think that's a nice addition for if it's raining or, you know, super windy. Just get that hood up to kind of block some of the moisture. Right, and I, I think with the B1 series, you know, just the breakup of the pattern, you get to look up from the ground. It yeah. kind of has that skyline effect with it, so... Yeah, if you guys haven't seen the B1 series, check it out on social media, scentlock.com. Um, it's pretty epic, Uh the late season B one is is fire. So, yeah. um, if I can pull enough pennies out of the piggy bank, <laughs> I might be able to get in on that. So, ECW calls all your custom call needs. If you broke your slate like I did during turkey season, he will hook you up. Um, just drop that off and uh, getting that fixed now. Uh, Matt came in stat with a VIP hookup on that. So appreciate mm-hmm. VIP and Matt and Cindy for fixing my slate call for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not going to fall again and crush it, hopefully. <laughs> Are you sure? I don't know. If i got to carry all that across the creek, I might. I know. I'll, I'll be there Water was high this spring, man. <laughs> yeah, right? Real so, high. You know how my rubber boots get. Not real good. They always have a hole in them. Yeah, always. He's got seven pairs of rubber boots. Every <laughs> one of them has a hole. If you walk as much as I do during shed season, you... You you get holes in your boots. Is it the simple. right foot or the left foot every time? It's the right every time. Yeah, I was saying, I it's the it was leading right. foot. Um, <laughs> Ingram's outdoor obsession. Uh, big news coming out of Ingram soon. We yep. can't release it yet, but uh, if you guys want a turkey done, he's going to be your man. So uh, if you guys, any of your local taxidermy needs, we got a local listener. I was just looking at the Illinois numbers today. Mm-hmm. Illinois is on fire, bro. We're crushing the listens in Illinois. Oh. It's it's top. So all the really? Illinois boys out there, we appreciate you. Ohio's coming in. I would say Ohio's been like the leader. You know who? what's pretty fire that's unpredictable? California. <laughs> There's some California guys out there laughing at us about not knowing shit about mule deer. <laughs> right. Right. And and they're coming in pretty stat. Uh, we had a listen in Spain, Japan. We got like 20 in Canada. So <laughs> we're, we're getting out there, bro. <laughs> I'm sure Japan was just an accidental clickbait. Right. <laughs> Got him. All right. Uh, that's all of them, right? That's it. That's it? Yeah, we yeah. did it. Yeah, okay. All right, here we go. Getting into the story of O-Town Outdoors Buck. 
All right, we got Nick and Jake from O-Town Outdoors on. How you doing tonight, Jake? I'm good. How are you? Doing good, man. Glad you guys could make it on for us. Um, Jake, uh, go ahead and tell the people a little bit about yourself and uh, kind of where you're from, how old you are, and how long you've been hunting. Yeah, well, I'll start with a little bit of introduction for both Nick and I. We're brothers, obviously. We're two years apart. Um, been hunting, fishing, camping, doing everything outdoors together pretty much as far back as we can remember, thanks to our dad and the family that we grew up in, uh, right here in central Ohio. So if you were to draw a line between Cleveland and Columbus in the state of Ohio, we're like right in the middle of that. Um, nice. I, I have a, a wife and a 20 month old little boy named Eli, who it's so funny. We went to this park in our, in our area this past weekend for Memorial day and they have peacocks there and he was walking up to them going because he thought they were turkeys. <laughs> nice. So, um, so that's kind of a little bit of my background. I do marketing for my full-time job and then O-Town Outdoors is kind of our, our side hustle where our, our real passion lies. So. How about and you, then, Nick? And yeah. then Nick here as well. Yeah, I like Jake said, a couple years younger than Jake. I'll be uh, 25 in August. Um, I currently work in sales uh, for an energy company um, right here in Mansfield. Um, moved away for four years to go to college and then came right back home. So, yeah, just to echo what Jake said, we've been doing this for a while. And just like you guys, you know, super passionate about the, the outdoors, conservation, and obviously chasing big whitetails. Yeah, man, I just want to do a quick shout-out to for your guys' feed. Um, you guys have been putting some fire picks out, some good content. Uh, the Sin Snood shirts, straight fire, bro. <laughs> yes. I mean, those things should have sold out in a heartbeat. So I, those things are awesome. If you haven't seen this Sin Snoods shirt, uh, you need to go check out O-Town Outdoors and, and get one of those stat. So uh, we, me and Homer were like, man, we need we got to get one of those, but we never did. No. We're like, well, why didn't we think of it? We yeah. pissed off for two yeah. days. Yeah. Why didn't think We've been saying that? snoods for years. I'm like, damn it, O-Town got us, bro. We've been, the creativity. So, all right. Well, we we're gotta, we're uh. We gotta credit that to our our buddy Easton McNeil. He's not on here tonight. He does a lot of work with us, though. He he came up with that clever uh clever hashtag. But we'll get a couple in the mail to you guys after this. <laughs> We might be able to do a shirt swap. That's what we need to do. We can shirt go. swap you. But uh, yeah, shout out Easton, man. That that was he nailed that. Yeah. So um, uh, we're coming at the listeners a little sideways on this episode. Most of the time, we got the person who killed the buck telling the story, and now we got the guys who hunted the buck but wasn't successful in the buck telling the story. So um, did this did this deer have a name? He did. So it's funny you bring that up because we, we typically, you know, when we're chasing big deer, we do come up with some clever names for him. But this deer was so big that we, funny enough, didn't think that he deserved a name. We felt like he just needed to be like left alone and just whatever he did. Was <laughs> I seen name. the big one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, so we never gave him a name, but the, the gentleman who killed him, which we'll get to, um, he called him Houdini all summer long and, and all season. So that's I guess you could say what he was named. Nice. The story of Houdini. That's a good name. So uh, let's break down this buck. Uh, when did he first come into your guys' lives? So to bring up Easton again, um, Jake and I were, I think, out scouting one night on a, a different piece of land. Um, 
late June. I think it was like June 25th. And we got a call from Easton. He said, guys, I've never seen a 200 inch deer in my life, but I, I think I just did. And we were like, are you serious? You know, where was he at? What did he look like? And he said, well, I actually had, you know, the camera gear with me and I got some awesome video and pictures of him. So Easton came over, threw it up on the computer. And sure enough, we were like, that deer is definitely going to be a 200 inch deer. You know, we had without a doubt. Right. We had never seen anything like that around us, but, um, you know, it was just one of those deer where you, you knew it just by looking at him and he was June 25th. It's not like they were even that developed yet, but, uh, you know, already starting a huge club drop time. Um, and he just was going to be something special. Yeah, man, I could imagine getting, we've got some nice bucks in velvet, but a huge drop tine buck like that. We've got one buck tine or drop tine velvet pick ever. And it was just like a little six incher. <laughs> so, so nothing, you know, big like that with a club. So, uh, was this Easton's property then or? No. So it's kind of cool how we ended up being able to hunt this deer. Easton had been hunting a property for a few years, about, I'd say two miles from the location, um, Houdini was in. And, uh, it's just a little bean field that had an island of woods, uh, had to be three, four acres. I mean, tiny little patch of woods. It was pretty thick. Um, and he was living in that. So Easton wasn't hunting that property, but he was always out there driving around because he hunted nearby. Um, so when he located that deer, we immediately jumped on hunt stand and started looking, okay, who owns what and who can we get permission from? Uh, to try to access, you know, hunting rights to, to land at least nearby. Um, and we had started going out after that initial encounter with him, what seemed like almost nightly. And he was, I mean, he was in the same spot every single night. And uh, at that point in time, we started questioning ourselves as, as to, you know, how many other people know about this deer. If we're out here driving by every night and he's here, how many other people know about this thing? Um but yeah, the, the permission adventure started and it was a lot easier than we thought it was going to be. Uh, I don't know how it is you guys getting access to private property, but it can be pretty tough around, around us. I'm i uh, I'm feeding or I'm taking care of migrating birds from Mexico <laughs> to hunt a piece of private. If that explains it at all, <laughs> we go through yeah. great leaps over here to hunt private. <laughs> yeah. Same, same for us, um, especially because there's not, if you were to calculate percentage of land in Ohio, that's public access within 50 miles or even a hundred miles of us, it's probably less than 1% of public land. So you pretty much have to own property or lease it or somehow come up with a super awesome gift basket to take to a landowner to get permission. Edible bouquets, man. I'm telling you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Yeah. But, uh, being in sales, I guess I'm kind of the one that always ends up getting his permission. And I was not afraid to start knocking on doors. So I, the first one we went to, um, it was about a hundred acre chunk across the street from the bean field we had been seeing him in. Um, but it just, you know, it looked like a good piece of land. So knocked on the door, um, older, older gentleman, and he didn't even hesitate. He said, absolutely go for it. I think I even asked him at the door if he was aware that there was a, a world-class deer living close to him. He said, no, I have no idea. Don't hunt. 
Um, I let a couple other guys hunt, but he said, you're more than welcome to, to go right ahead and hunt as well. So obviously that presented some concern, um, being other people, you know, on the property, we didn't want to step on any, anybody's toes. You know, we kind of were raised that way. You know, if somebody had been there, obviously first, whatever, don't, don't cause any problems. He's nice enough to let you hunt. So don't, don't cause any issues. So we wanted to make sure we were, um, not doing that, but turns out the two guys that were hunting, were hunting almost the opposite side of the farm and we could have the whole side that was closest to this deer pretty much to ourselves, which kind of blew my mind that it worked out that way. But, uh, from there, yeah, as you can imagine, we started throwing up trail cameras and trying to figure out if he even used that land or not. But, uh, come to find out he sure as heck did. <laughs> nice. How, so, how big was this property that you guys had permission on? Uh, it was just, I think it was like 102 acres and it's all hardwoods. And it's, it's really funny. Anybody that asks us about this property, um, if you walked into it and I told you there was a 200 inch deer living on this property, you would probably turn around and walk away and said, you're absolutely kidding me. The, the landowner's son who's in his fifties lives dang near on the middle of the property in a camper year round. And he has very passionate motocross rider. He has dirt bike trails, jumps through the entire woods. And he is back in there every single day, riding, cutting wood, doing whatever. Very nice gentleman. Talked to him a number of times. Um, but the fact that there was a, a 200 inch deer frequenting that wood lot is astonishing. Well, to me, anyway. <laughs> yeah, that is astonishing to me. You know, you, you hear these giant mature deer, you know, or if you go in there and pull a cam, they're gone. You know what I mean? <laughs> but I think if, you know, if that guy does it every deer, it's, it's just normal for that deer, you know. He's just used to that guy being in there and kind of right. being in his zone. But one thing I like to bring up that uh, is a great tactic that you guys are talking about is driving around and looking for velvet bucks and bean fields. Uh, we do that a lot around here. Um Okay. That's how I've found a couple of my spots. Uh, Booner Motel being one of them. My buddy seen a triple main bean buck uh, cruising through there in velvet. And that kind of is when I was like, all right, I need to. And that took me five years to access it. But uh, <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. Five years of asking, and I finally got a yes. But it, it takes time. Awesome. But uh, sometimes. Yeah. That's a, that's a great tactic to use. You know, grab a buddy, drive around, listen to some tunes, grab the binox and cruise. And, uh, you never know if it might be, you know, there might be a buck out in a, you know, a field, but you said that three acre patch, there might be a little old lady that owns four acres that no one's thinking about hunting that you could just slide right in on. You know what I mean? Exactly. So. Yeah. That's a great point. I mean, heck, you guys are probably the same. Jake and I do it with our buddies just to hang out, you know, <laughs> yeah. nothing mm -hmm. else to do sometimes though. So. Yeah. Go look for some deer and, uh, put the kids yeah. to sleep, put the kids <laughs> to sleep, cruise around and, uh, get the binocs out. And then when you see a giant, whether you can hunt it or not, just get you ready for deer season, you know, and oh, you see yeah. a buck out there feeding, you're like, Oh yeah. Absolutely. So, so you guys got the property, you're running trail cams. You figured out that he was on this, uh, property. So when the buck shed velvet, did he leave that property or did he end up staying? So our first trail cam picture actually wasn't until August 30th. We had threw some trail cameras out and he, he was still living in that little patch of woods, obviously just from hunting deer over the years. We, we knew he was probably going to shift at some point in time and then probably shift again. Um, so August 30th, he popped up and from August 30th until 
September 29th, when our season opens, he was on there almost every single day, multiple times a day, morning, middle of the day, evening, through the night, you name it, he was on that camera until about seven, six days before the season opened. And then just like it happens all the time around here, I don't know about you guys, but poof, you know, he was gone. That's what happens. Everybody's like, oh, yeah, I got this buck pattern. And I'm like, <laughs> to three days before season, I'm not getting a daylight picture of a deer no. or a buck. Not a big <laughs> yeah. deer. You know what I mean? It's just the same way. Same way. I was say, so. Around here, it seems like as soon as they shed velvet, they might hang out for like three, four days still in the daylight. And then yep. it's just, everything's nocturnal. I mean, everything. Yep. Even the does yeah. are like, yep, time to go nocturnal. I'm yeah. like, what is going on? We haven't been yeah. in there, pool cams, nothing, running mobile sets. September 18th, got this beautiful mainframe 10 at 9 in the morning. <laughs> Five yards in front of the stand. Yeah, nothing. <laughs> then after that, it's nocturnal. I'm like, what What? What was the switch, you know? But It's crazy, and I guess that's why they're <laughs> wild animals and more humans. And yeah. They got the mind of their own. But, uh, yeah, it was cool. We actually had a picture of him right when he shed velvet. He had, like, a vine all twisted in his antlers, and it was sweet. Um, oh, that is sweet. So, yeah, we had him after he shed velvet, but – six i think it was six days before the season gone and looking back and obviously hindsight's 2020 um we we assumed that this was going to be just like a dozen other situations where we never see him again you know we're like there's no way this this 200 inch deer is going to be on this property during hunting season there's no way and that ended up being i think a main reason why we did not kill this deer which like i said hindsight's 2020 I wouldn't say it's a regret because we feel honored just to have seen a deer like this, let alone hunt him. Um, but yeah, he, he absolutely did not go far. We'll, we'll say that. <laughs> so even with um, the season coming in and, you know, them riding dirt bikes and you guys, you know, starting to hunt and get out there more than you were, you know, during the summer or, you know, running trams, cams um, before season, you know, he was still hanging around. Yeah, and we obviously we didn't know that until after he was dead, and we ended up talking to dang near everybody in the county that was hunting this thing, and you know, and now we have the whole piece of the puzzle. We literally know where he went when he stopped showing up on our cameras because this guy had him on camera, and then when he stopped showing up there, where he went from there. I mean, it's crazy now to piece it all together after we've talked to so many others, other hunters, especially because during during the season we're trying to think, you know, like. What terrain features might he gravitate towards? What what part of of the local three mile radius might he have gone to? Where's the food that he likes to eat? And we just we couldn't figure it out because it's all so similar. And after that deer got killed, it's it's like everything actually makes a lot more sense than we thought it would. And yeah. it, looking back at it now, it would be almost impossible for us to guess that during the season. But when it's all explained to you and laid out in a timeline. the deer was extremely intelligent. Yeah. See, that's just like Cody's deer this year. You know, we get a picture of him here. We get a picture of him there, but we kind of thought we had an idea of what he was doing. And then, you know, we didn't really have any Intel from the neighbors or anything, but, uh, we kind of have an idea of what he thought he was doing and what he liked. And, um, it was like, as soon as Cody killed him and we all got together, it was like, it just hit us of, everything that we thought he was doing, he was actually doing, and he was there, you know, almost the whole time. Right. 
yeah, it, it's crazy and definitely a learning experience for us. It's unfortunate that it had to be a learning experience on a deer that we'll probably never see anywhere close to again. But <laughs> yeah, it's really cool to be able to piece it together. And I ask that question a lot on these, like, did you learn anything after the kill? Because most people are done learning at that point, right? They've mm-hmm. been successful. But me and Homie went back through all the trail cams again, okay? Was it, what was he doing? And we d- dug into it because, just like you guys, if you do ever get a chance to hunt a deer of this caliber before and he has a trend, you're going to be like, okay, whoa, you know, this, this, we've seen this before. Mm-hmm. We need to go over here and see if he's doing this. Absolutely. Because you know? if we would have ran a cam in that back, put a mobile cam back there, we would have known, you know, yeah. we would have had a way better idea, but it's just something that we didn't think he was doing. And then what was it? Maybe 15 days before I shot him, we were like, okay, he's doing this. Yeah. And then we right. made the move, you know, but uh, okay. you guys really got me intrigued on piecing this puzzle together. So <laughs> lay it out for me. I want to, I want to hear uh, how you guys pieced it to where he got shot. So he, uh, he was, like I said, disappeared. We, we actually, crazy enough started hunting other properties and other deer because we were just like this thing's this thing's gone we knew the other hunters that hunted that property were in there they actually moved stands 40 yards from where our stands were so we were like man this we were we the wind was was definitely let out of our sails um i checked a camera after work one evening like first of november and he was on there i think it was the third of november and it was like 3 30 in the afternoon he ran past our trail camera dog and a doe and i think it was an hour and a half later yeah he was uh he was with the doe at 3 30 in the afternoon a little tiny had to be yearling doe which i thought was ironic this 230 inch deer (laughs) this little dinky yearling (laughs) doe um and i was actually sitting that that morning i was or that afternoon i was sitting on our dad's property in our ground blind and I'm sitting there kicking myself after checking the camera. That's where I wish I would have had a cell cam or something, but, uh, yeah. So he, he popped back up. It wasn't anything consistent. I, I think he was just dogging a doe and happened to be running through that property one to the next maybe. Um, and that was it. So he popped back up, you know, early November, the one time and we were like, well, he's alive he's moving in daylight in an area that we know has a ton of hunters. There's no way this thing's living through gun season. There's no way. Um, but sure enough, he, as far as we knew, did a deer like that. You know, we knew that would get out if he was killed, obviously. Um, and then it wasn't until muzzleloader season, um, which for us fell January 4th through the 7th. Um, and he popped up just before muzzleloader season. So that would have been like the first of January, all middle of the night pictures. Um, but we were like, okay, this thing's alive. It's now or never. So we actually took our little sister in there. Um, her name is Rachel. She's a, a sophomore in college. Um, we took her in there because she seems to have the lucky rabbit's foot. She kills monsters. So... <laughs> We took her in there. We thought she'd be the best bet. And, uh, yeah, didn't show up. But the next night he was killed probably 250, 300 yards from the tree we were sitting against. So <laughs> right on the neighbor's property. Um, it's a 200-yard shot with a muzzleloader. He uh, he was actually going to hunt a different piece. And there was a, another gentleman already hunting it. So he drove across the street to his little 30-acre chunk of woods he owns, sat up on the hill against a tree. 
thing came out with the dough and it was just one of those nights where deer were everywhere. He came out with the dough 200 yards. He said he wasn't even sure if it was that deer, but he squeezed the trigger and it was Houdini. <laughs> Man. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> That guy had been hunting. He knew about that deer and had been hunting that deer for how many seasons before? A couple seasons before. He's killed, this gentleman on this little 30-acre parcel has killed 160 or better deer for the last four years. And then this thing. And so. I'm telling I've been trying. I, I don't know how many times i said it on here. It don't matter the size. It matters the right spot, you know. Mm-hmm. The, yeah, he, I've killed a 140 or better the last five years off of 21 acres. Wow. Okay. A 140 to 192. <laughs> wow. You know, off 21 acres. So really, yeah, I I agree completely. The some spots are just consistently fantastic. And you got to hunt them right, but you know, I say it all the time. Some of my success is the property. I'll just straight up tell you, I'm I'm a real dude. You know, uh, I've had opportunities on other properties, and I've passed you know 140 class deer, um, but that thing is just a horseshoe and then homie hunts it and oh yeah don't see nothing brutal because <laughs> so <laughs> yeah a couple years ago cody's like well i just saw my 12th buck of the morning i'm like nice nice and then get a hunt there this year and what i see well besides one seen nine. three real yeah. shooter you seen a yeah. 170 <laughs> <laughs> didn't see it. oh i seen a 170 by 80 yards uh yeah i forgot about that so yeah, no big deal. Yeah. No, no. I mean, it but, wasn't a 192, but <laughs> it was a 170 10, yeah. clean 10, tinelings out of this world. But, um, but yeah, uh, it's it's really cool how you guys kept getting trail cam pictures throughout the season because that's something I've never been able to do. Uh, the property we hunt is so small. The trail camera is just so sporadic. You know, I might I get some velvet, and then I will get some in October, and I will get like one in November and then a couple in December and then that's it, you know? Right. But. Yeah. I mean, that's what I guess, and I don't want to say regretful cause that's not the word, but looking back the a, a learning experience, I guess I really, I, I truthfully wish we would have put all of our cards into that property, but the, the, the circumstances and, and the, the, the property itself was enough to, to make us want to, not put all of our cards in and, and how sporadic it was. And yeah, I don't know. It, looking back, I think we should have just probably all or nothing this year. And uh, whether he was riding his motorcycle all day long or not, probably sat it out because who knows what yeah. was going on on what day. But well, for us too, once, once we caught wind of the fact that there were other people who had been hunting this buck in years past and they were hunting this deer this year, I think we rode ourselves off and probably didn't give ourselves enough credit as hunters because we figured, oh, he, they have way more history with, history with this deer. They're way more likely to know where he's at and actually get a shot at him. In, in reality, if we probably if we sat that spot, I mean, a, a trail camera is only going to snap a photo of what is within its range and within its field of view. That buck could have walked, easily walked every night a different trail through that property and we just didn't get it on camera because of where our where our cam was set up so we we probably could have played a few more cards on that property and it might have changed how things ended up but like nick said at the beginning of all this everything about this deer was just a tremendous learning experience for us 
moving forward past the, the night he was killed. Um, it was, I woke up January 7th, the, the next morning at 6:45 to a million messages from people of this, this guy and this deer. And my, I just felt sick. I almost called off work. And, uh, at the same time, though, I felt like really good about the fact that we hunted him the night before, knowing that he was probably, you know, right there somewhere. Like, I don't know why that gives me some peace of mind knowing that, like, you know, we gave him a fair, you know, a fair shake at it one more time. And he was he was somewhere right in there. I mean, like I said, the, the location this deer died was 250, 300 yards from the tree. We were we were sitting out hunting him just 24 hours before. So that was cool in a way to kind of, you know, close out the chapter. Um, but from there, the next 48 hours were insane because we had so many different people contacting us and we never told anyone about this deer (laughs) except for our taxidermist. We sent a picture to, and, uh, that I don't want to say that was a mistake. We love him to death, but that got out a little bit. And we had, we had our own trail cam pictures, believe it or not, being texted to us saying, look at this deer. And we're like, that's, that's <laughs> our picture. Like that's, that's our trail cam picture. never seen that deer before in my life. <laughs> yeah. And it was crazy to us how, like, you know, how that gets out so quick. I mean, it spread like wildfire. And then we had, you know, we were calling people and we got in touch with the land or the, the, the gentleman that killed it. And he let us come out and take trophy photos of him and the deer, which was awesome. So we got to hold it and see it and, you know, everything like that. That was really cool. Um, and then another gentleman that was hunting just across the street, he had sheds off of him from two years ago. And he informed us that he was hit by a car last year. And sure enough, when they, you know, caked him out, his back left side was all nasty and bruised. And who knows if he even would have lived another year. And he had two different encounters with him this year, one during shotgun season. And he was like 150, 200 yards away. And he passed a shot at him because of how big this deer was, which I thought was super cool and respectful to, you know, an animal of that caliber. He he didn't feel comfortable slinging a, a piece of lead at this quality of a deer because of how far it was, which I, I really admire and, and think is awesome. But yeah, it just was a flood of information and intel and stories from all these people. And it's like, we were, we were over at people's houses that we didn't even know. And they're showing us trail cam pictures of him all through October when we were sitting there, like, where is this thing? And they had him on camera. So it was really cool to piece all that together. What was the, the w- one interesting thing that came about from, the leaked picture of this deer and the fact that people started talking to us about him is how how far did that deer travel? If we, if we drew a a line from where he spent his summer months to where they were getting pictures of him in October, how far was that? I can't remember the, it was, it was far. He, he, he definitely was on the move, but at the same time, you never know for sure if people are, pulling your leg about where they hunt and where they got pictures of him so he definitely traveled i'll say that he was a rut roamer yeah which is a wonder how he lived so long you know yeah man they know i mean they cover a lot of ground but just lucky you know bucks are lucky too i think there's a lot of hunters out there and for one to live that long get that big it takes it takes some luck on their end and some skill you know but i want to pull up a couple things while you guys were talking um, one is 
you know, you said you were 250 yards away from him. I, th- I personally think that's badass too. Um, after we killed, uh, you realize how close you were, right? And you're like, we knew what he was doing. And you can take some pride in that, you know. You had figured him out within that close. So props to you, you know. I mean, 200, 200 yards, 250 yards a day apart, you're close to that deer. So Especially when, when you consider the fact that the guy who killed that deer killed him from 200 yards away. Yeah. <laughs> makes you feel like you were you were within striking distance we just didn't have elevation on her yeah <laughs> for sure you know and then another thing is you know you you might have hunted that night and you you didn't see that deer or might not you know you might not even had a good hunt but you literally never know when it's going to happen you're too, you could be 200 yards away at any moment me and homie sat down and was thinking, how many times were we 200, 300 yards away from this deer? You and know? you have no idea. And you have no idea because it's so thick right. or, you know, you're setting the north stand. How many times you think, you know, he was just cruising the bottom of that ridge on the neighbors and yeah. you couldn't see him? Right. You literally yeah. never know. So you just have to hunt hunt as much as you can, you know, the, the best you can with the wind and access to try to get it done. Right. And if anything, yeah, like you guys said, that's, I think, a learning – uh, definitely a, a takeaway from this deer and this hunt, which we're thankful for, is that even when you're, and you guys know, even when you think you're out of the game, you can be right back in it. Yep, that's 100% true. <laughs> right. Me and homie were at the point where we heard 42 shots opening morning shotgun season uh, on the neighbors, and we're thinking, okay. It's so, I mean, the hunting pressure around this 20 acres is ridiculous. There's a Pennsylvania boys, huge group, but anyways – um, you're thinking at that point, and then we we went out to the local watering hole, we you know, and uh, the neighbors, oh, we missed a legend. The other neighbors, we seen a giant. I'm like, you are way away from where you're supposed to be at, big boy. And what happened? He ran right off them neighbors onto ours. So, oh, wow, he they could have definitely missed that deer on that on that property we don't know any other but well we know one other buck out there that was a legend yeah. but yeah. but uh there was two bucks out there that were legend quality you know so that deer could have been missed by a gun hunter the day before i shot him you know that right. just blows me away to even think about but uh main thing in the story is when you when you feel like you're close to a deer in your gut you're probably closer than you actually think yeah absolutely and you guys being young guys like us you know, you've had some success, but you don't feel like you've mastered this hunting thing. You know what I mean? Just like me and homie, we don't feel like we've mastered it. So the whole time we're close to this deer, but we're like, ah, oh, there's no way we're close to this deer, you know? Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Well, oh, yeah. <laughs> we all three try to talk at the same time that we all pause. That's how polite we are. You guys go ahead. Go ahead. What were you going to say? <laughs> oh, I was just going to completely agree with you. Yeah, it's like never seeing a deer of that of that caliber um and now i think if we ever do again or anywhere close we're gonna stay a little more calm cool and collected and not uh not count ourselves out too soon do you guys feel like you over hunted this deer at all and you know started to hunt a different property or um since he was still showing up on the cams you guys just kept plugging away at him if anything i think we under hunted him for sure. This, this property I should mention too, we, it's, it's 
a solid 45, 50 minutes from, from where we actually reside. Um, and just like you guys, you know, having full-time jobs, but morning and, and week evening hunts just aren't in the car. So you narrow down to, to weekends or any day that you call off. And I agree completely with Jake. I think we under hunted this deer just because of all the circumstances um, given. So I, I almost wish we would have put a little more time in. I mean, we had hunts where, uh, another gentleman that hunted the property, we'd be all set up, ready to go in our stand, a perfect wind, perfect morning, barometric pressure, great, whatever. And we'd be in there like an hour before sun up so that we knew we had plenty of time before the deer filtered back. And he'd come traipsing into his stand 40 yards away from us, loud as can be, already breaking daylight. And we're just like, man, like we're, we're wasting our time, you know? Um, we'd be sitting there just breaking daylight, deer starting to move and then cranking up the dirt bike and riding underneath of our tree stand. I mean, I, we can't make this stuff up. And like, that was very, very turn offish. It, right it was word. discouraging for us because we thought, we thought, you know, of course this deer was here when nobody was hunting him. We had pictures of him in velvet and a couple of days after he shed and then he disappeared. And we thought we're sitting here hunting a 200 inch deer. That's not here anymore. But like you said, we probably should have given ourselves more credit and and realized when when you think in your gut that you're close to a deer like that, or any deer for that matter, you're probably closer than your your brain is letting you believe. Well, I I'll give I mean I'd be the same way if a guy was riding yeah. motorcycles and or you know dirt bikes and walking in late to the stand. I mean, I mean we had a guy gun hunting the neighbors right on the fence line. Uh, uh, and during first shotgun season there, the day before I shot Mr. Freeze, and I was like, well, that's over. You know, his wind's blowing right to where I believe this buck's going to come from. You know, it's just, so you literally just never know when, when yep. it could, could happen. So, but I'm the same with you guys. I probably would have backed out, especially if I had other bucks on cam, you know, that were potentially easier to kill. So. Right. Well, what, what called, we kind of took a break from hunting him throughout October just because he wasn't on camera and we'd been running into other guys, but we ended up talking to the other gentleman that hunted real close to us. And he was a nice guy. He, he had been family friends of, of them for years since he was a kid. He's been hunting that property for years. And, you know, when we talked to him, he, he had the same, you know, feelings towards the, the dirt bike situation and all of that. But he told us, he was like, believe it or not, I think that's why that deer is in here. And we kind of looked at him, you know, we looked at him, Yeah, we looked at him cross-eyed <laughs> when he said that. Like, what but, are you talking about? But he went on to explain. He's like, I've seen that deer in here while he's riding his dirt bike. And he said, I think he, he knows where, you know, he is when he's riding that thing because of, obviously, the sound and everything. And he, he feels safe because at all times he knows where he's at and he can he can be you know in his corner and his whatever bedded down and he knows at all times he's right there and that was his take on it which was really interesting and that's kind of why we started hunting him again because we had the complete opposite mindset like no way in heck this deer's in here and he had been chasing the thing seen him in there that that season um hunted him the year before and he said no he's i think he He's fine with it. If, yeah, if, like you said at the beginning, he felt comfortable and safe being there. <laughs> yeah, we uh, was it episode. Wrong? I don't know, but it was just interesting to hear somebody else's complete opposite take on it. 
Was it episode seven seventy seventy seven with the urban hunter? Uh, seventy seven. Yeah. Um. Anyways, we had an urban hunter on, and he was telling us some of the same stuff. Like he's hunting, and he's watching people barbecue. And in my <laughs> mind, I'm like, that doesn't add up. You know what I mean? How does a buck? You know, he said, "Oh yeah, they're barbecuing eighty yards away." I'm like, I just don't. That don't click. You know? And he's downtown St. Louis. And, uh, I'm like, I, but just like you said, a dirt bike every day, it's just like them guys barbecuing in the mm-hmm. summer. They're yep. just used to it. You know what I mean? Or in the fall, they're just used to it. So that goes to say something, um, Cameron, he, he shot that buck this year and, um, his property was completely bulldozed almost. I mean, over half of his property was bulldozed and he kept hunting it. So <laughs> sometimes I feel like if they found a place that they're secure, he might've lived there a couple years. Um, they almost like tolerate it. They just put it up with it. Like my wife does with me. She just tolerates me. You know what I mean? So. <laughs> oh man. But what, yeah. what did that buck end up scoring total? So it hasn't been officially scored yet. Um, but the gentleman that killed him scored him. It was like two fifteen and some change. Um, I personally think it's going to go bigger than that, but he had, Crazy a few inches off his drop time that were, were broken off. Um, he had a couple points that were broken. Um, but yeah, I mean, he was a 200 inch deer for sure. <laughs> Crazy man. That drop and palmation, uh, every, he got it all. You know what I mean? He had a lot going on. Uh, you look at the yeah, pick, you're like, all. okay, whoa. All right. Yeah. This <laughs> thing's got a lot, a lot to take in here. <laughs> yeah. Well, what's cool too is, I mean, he's going to get him, going to get him aged obviously, but the, the gentleman that, um, you know, passed up an opportunity shooting at him had been chasing him for three years and he, he has a shed off of him from when he believes he was a three-year-old. And I mean, I'll send you a picture of it after this. It's, it's unreal. I mean, unreal for as a three-year-old three to look like that. Yeah. And you, you just don't think of it in your head. You're, you're used to seeing basket rack eight points as two-year-olds and to think that a deer that looked like that was only a year older. I mean, this is all speculation, of, yeah. of course, but it just blows your mind to think that a whitetail can get, get that big because you just don't see it very often. Yeah, I mean, I, I've i had them take huge 40-inch jumps from what I believe three to four. So mm-hmm. just you never know what they can do. They get the, they get the right stuff. Uh, Ohio, that's a bait state, right? Mineral state? Yep. Yeah. Yep. I mean, I didn't know. Maybe there were some guys pumping them some minerals for a couple years and some feed and stuff, and gave him some, that extra boost to really get his potential where he needed to go. So, yeah, it could it could be who knows? But there's rumors, word on the street. The <laughs> I, I shouldn't even say rumors because I saw it. But the other gentleman, I keep bringing him up. Um, that was hunting him and had pictures of him encounters with him. He showed me a trail cam picture after Houdini was dead of a deer that looked super young, but looked super similar. And where, I mean, if I showed you a picture of it, you'd say there's no way that it's not a, uh, an offspring of this, of this deer. So hopefully that's sweet. God man. willing, he'll be roaming around a couple and, years. <laughs> <laughs> you guys got yeah. her put together now. So. <laughs> Don't show no. your taxidermist the pick. That's all you got to do. <laughs> yeah, you're not kidding. We already, we already took the landowner a nice gift basket and a letter. Nice. So really sealed the deal, though. <laughs> yep. I like that. You got to do the extra extra stuff to 
for small guys like us to be able to hunt the nice public ground. It so. does, man. That's something that, I mean, growing up, that's what our dad taught us to do. And it's, it's unbelievable how many people were a little bit hesitant or reluctant to grant permission. And then after you've hunted there for a season, whether it's turkey or deer, and you take them a gift like that, they're like, ah, oh, I'll write you in the will. We'll just, let <laughs> you know, yeah, because <laughs> that people just don't do that kind of stuff anymore. And it yeah. really does mean a lot to a landowner. For sure. I, uh, I like to take deer salami to the people that let me just shed hunt their stuff. Cause shed hunting grounds tough around here. And I always take a couple rolls and they're like, Oh, you ain't got to do that. I'm like, no. I found some 70 inches on your ground. We're solid. <laughs> you can have eight. Yeah, you can have eight rolls of salami, man. We're good. So <laughs> I got to make room for next year. Yeah. So I do want to add to um, the, the gentleman that killed this deer is a very stand up, polite, ethical. I mean, diehard hunter. You know, it wasn't we, we had fear of. You know, the, the Joe Schmo that dusts off his shotgun, goes out opening day, blasting this thing. Um, just because we didn't feel like that deer deserved that. This this guy is, like I said, stand-up hunter, kills big deer every year, knows what he's doing, plays by the rules. So I do want to add that because it, it went to a very well-deserving hunter. Yeah, that's awesome, man. It sounds like he knows what he's doing, too. I mean, four 160s yeah. in the last four <laughs> years or better, that's that guy's got yeah. it going on, so that's hard to do. And you know when you get that repeated year yeah. to year, and they got something figured out on some property, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, or they're just putting enough work in. I mean, he's out there in January, muzzleloader hunting, and a lot of people are hanging it up. So Yeah. It's crazy yeah. to think, like you said, he lived through all bow seasons, so many trail camp picks, all shotgun season, multiple different properties. A guy seeing him didn't take a shot, you know. That's that's a lot of history with the deer. I wish we had that history with freeze. You that'd know, been, to really know that'd been sweet. that's pretty epic that you guys can piece them together. Um, if there's one thing that you guys would have, could have done different besides just hunt the property more that would have made you more successful. What do you think it would have been? I would have been more mobile when we were hunting it. Um, because of the fact that there was other guys hunting it. And I mean, this, <laughs> This woods was littered in tree stands. I mean, you couldn't turn your turn your corner and there's a, a ladder stand, a hang on, whatever. So being just the, the guys that we are, and maybe this is a downfall of ours, not wanting to step on people's toes that have been there, you know, longer than us. We kind of confined ourselves to, to one parcel of this hundred acres where looking back, I kind of wish we would have been more aggressive and, and bounced around. Um, who knows if he, you know, when he pop back up on November 3rd in daylight, you know, who knows if he wasn't on the other side of the property for a few days. And I wish we would have been more mobile and well, willing to move. And the way that that property set up too, where, where our set was, sometimes the wind just wasn't good to hunt that stand, but it would have been perfectly fine to attempt to hunt the other side of the property. But because we knew other people were trying to hunt that side, we just stayed out of it. And w what we probably should have done is, connected with some of those people and maybe even just driven to that side of the property on a off wind day mm -hmm. to see if they were there and then hunt it and just see what happens. Yeah. That's, that would have been a great idea. You could have got the, you know, the Intel from that side to be able to figure out if you can piece anything together. Yep. All right. So yeah, got, oh, be, you got some? No, that would oh. be our biggest takeaway. I would say. Yeah. Sometimes being mobile ski, man, we, uh, we moved stands this year and that's why we were successful. 
Um, if you if you see the action, I'm a firm believer you got to get on it that day, you know, or it could could definitely be be gone tomorrow. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, let the people know where they can find you guys on social to see some more pics of this deer, and and like I said, you guys put out a lot of high quality pics um, yourself. So we appreciate we appreciate you saying that. Um, yeah, you can. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, um, at O-Town Outdoors. Um, and then we have a lot of YouTube content as well. If you search O-Town Outdoors on YouTube, we actually have about an hour-long um, video podcast that we did like a week after Houdini was shot. Um, we showed some of the video we captured of him this summer. We showed a, a ton of trail cam pictures. We had the, the pictures of the sheds um, from the gentleman that found the sheds. So if you... We covered pretty much everything tonight, but if you want to see a different angle on it, um, that's on our YouTube page as well. Nice. I'm, I'm going to check that out. Say, well, I'll try to tag. Well, I'm not going to try. I'm going to. I'll, I'll tag that video in the link of uh, this podcast. Cool. There we go. Cool. Tech guy coming through. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. We appreciate you spending some time with us. Hey, good to spend time with you. We appreciate the call. Yeah, thanks for having us on. Have you ever seen... A 214-inch deer in the pen. No. Oh, all right. Um, this this buck is insane. Wait till you guys see pictures of this. Um, Just an insane buck. Uh, shout out to O-Town Outdoors for coming on, spending some time with us. Um, check out the, all their content on social media. Um, I really like the flip side that we did to the Legacy Series where we got the guys that didn't kill the deer telling the story and then piecing it together through all the neighbors. Shout out to them for doing that. Yeah. Um, and shout out to them for going and taking pictures with this guy. That is top notch. So, um, get out there, talk to your neighbors, try to make a connection. And you know what? Maybe you could leave a legacy with them and why tell legacies out. 